Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the number one banking podcast. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Content marketing is an important part of creating powerful experiences in banking. Done well, it can help attract, inform, and engage your target audience. Content marketing has become popular in banking because it's a way to provide insight without actually selling. Building trust and loyalty that reinforces a financial institution's brand. The types of content that can be created are vast, and the sharing of content can go far beyond a bank's website. My guest today is Joe Polizzi, the author of seven books, including the best-selling book, Content Inc. He's also the founder of The Tilt. Joe shares what it takes for banks and credit unions to succeed with content marketing. Content, including blogs, articles, web copy, video, and much more, can be extremely powerful to help you connect with consumers, generate leads, and drive sales. Yet more than 50% of banking organizations say they need to do better. So Joe, as with so much terminology in the banking and marketing today, it probably makes sense to first define what content marketing is before we dig into how financial institutions can do it better. So what is your definition about content marketing. Sure, Jim, glad to be here. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Content marketing has been around for hundreds of years, but it's sort of taken on a life of its own in the past 20 years. So if you think about uh, most of the money in marketing has gone to advertising to interruption, but instead of that, we're looking at, hey, we're going to create content information. We're going to target a very specific audience. And, and instead of interrupting them with an ad on somebody else's channel, we're trying to create our own channel. So this is our own blog, our own YouTube channel, our own e-newsletter. And we want to create valuable, relevant, compelling information on a consistent basis to that targeted audience. And hopefully if we do that consistently over time, we can build a relationship with them. They'll come to know, like, and trust us. And if they come to know, like, and trust us, hopefully if it works out well, they'll end up buying something from us or staying longer as customers or uh, or becoming even better customers, increasing our yield, if you will, if you're looking for a marketing ROI term. So that's where we're looking at content marketing. It has still very small part, I think the overall marketing budget, especially in financial institutions marketing budget, but it's becoming a little bit more important every year as we see it's harder to break through all that clutter out there. So a lot of organizations are saying, how can we break through all that mess, all that clutter? and reach our target audience and then positively affect that target audience with the information we're sending instead of just, hey, here's our new product, here's our service, here's a new account you can open, please do that. We're really trying to give them something that's going to help them live a better life or get a better job. So why is content marketing more important today than ever? How did the pandemic impact the consumption of content. Well, it's it's been going on. This is a progression for a long time. I mean, if you look back in the 70s and 80s, you only had a few places that people went for information. You only had, you know, three or four channels on television. You only had a couple major newspapers in the trades. You only had two or three major magazines. So you could say, oh, I know where and how my customers are getting information. Great. I can just put an ad there and I can reach all of them. Because if you said, how should I market my products and services in the 60s and 70s? I would say buy television advertising. Best thing you could do. Well, today, you cannot do that. If you look into your market, your particular market where your audience is hanging out, 
they're all over the place. They're on, they're on, of course, they're checking things on Google. They're on Netflix. They're using Amazon Prime. They're on 17 different blogs. They're getting 20 different newsletters. They're checking out TikTok. They're, they're everywhere. So you're saying, okay, are you going to advertise that way? Very hard to even, and it's even harder to, to programmatically advertise to them today and to, to interrupt their experience somewhere. So you'd say, okay, it might actually be easier. It takes a long time take some investment, but it might actually be easier to say, let's put our investment dollars. We know who our audience is. We know we can reach them. Why don't we create an opt-in relationship with them? Let's just say through a newsletter so that if our newsletter is so good and they open that newsletter, say on a weekly basis, I don't have to go out and rent other people's channels. We have our own channel, our own opt-in one-on-one relationship that we can build our audience. It just seems like if, like Jim, you know that if we were, if we had to start from zero today and we had nothing in the past we had no advertising we had no content marketing nothing would we say oh, okay i'm starting from nothing and i'll just wait for other people to create audiences and then i'll go interrupt those audiences no you'd say where's my audience at how do i build a relationship with them let's go do that okay well how do you build a relationship with them without selling them something first you can do that today through audio content video content textual content, then you need need to decide what platform makes the most sense to do that. And then how do you consistently deliver over a long period of time? You know, it's interesting. Traditionally, at least in my experience, financial institutions tend to produce content, put on their website and hope that people find it. They don't really pull people in. They just hope that if a person has a question, they'll, they'll fall upon it. How can this be done better by financial institutions? I mean, you know, we have some financial institutions, some in Cleveland, for instance, that have limits to how many times they reach out to customers. Well, that, that, that's an old, you know, presumption on what you should be doing. But how do organizations, especially financial institutions, make it so people know that there's content that will be related to them someplace mm-hmm. within their website or someplace on the Internet that they should be accessing? Well, it's a, it's a great point, Jim, because most organizations don't realize that if you're doing content marketing, that doesn't mean 100% of the time you're creating content. If you're looking at what the most innovative organizations are doing in content marketing, maybe 25%, 30% of the time they're creating content. The other 70% of the time is going to promoting that content and distributing that content and working on relationships with influencers so that content can be found. So... That's what I would look at and say, so let's look at the average financial institution out there. They're probably doing 13 to 16 different things, right? They're on Twitter, they're on Facebook, they're on LinkedIn, they've got blogs, they got podcasts, they're on YouTube, they're doing webinars, they got a newsletter, they got all kinds of stuff, right? The problem is most of that stuff is just mediocre. I would call it meh, it's not like breaking records or anything. And they're not putting a lot of marketing behind that, so it's found. What, when we go into large organizations and medium-sized organizations, we look at all the stuff they're doing and say, okay, well, these five or six things that you're doing, they're not making any impact at all. It's just stuff that's keeping you busy. So let's cut that stuff out. Let's take the resources, put it over here where you can make an impact, and then let's get that out in front of your audience so they can see it. So what does that mean? That means that you might have to actually market the content advertise for the content. A lot of people don't think about that, but you actually, if you're going to use ad dollars, I would use ad dollars to promote your content so that people opt into your content. You can get their email address and then you can communicate with them on an ongoing basis. So if you, if you're doing a YouTube channel, how do you, I mean, are you going to just focus on maybe I'll get organically found with YouTube's algorithm? No, you should be promoting it. You should pay for promotion on that channel. 
If you don't have really good search engine optimization from an organic standpoint, well, you probably need to pay for search engine marketing until those things are found. So these are the types of things that a lot of marketers don't think of. So I would just say, if you're listening to this and you're spending most of your time on creating the content, not marketing it, you probably have to swing that pendulum a little more over toward, I need to focus more on marketing and distribution. By the way, this means doing deals with influencers in your industry. Are there bloggers? Are there newsletter writers? Are there speakers? Are there prominent figures that have already built audiences that you can do partnerships with? You want to focus on those things too. get your content out that way. And I think a lot of marketers just think, oh, I'm going to create the content and they'll find it. And the odds are, no, they won't. Yeah, so it's not field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, maybe a long time ago, maybe maybe 15 years yeah. ago in Google, but not today. Well, it's interesting because J.D. Power just came out of the survey. They said that while financial institutions are really doing quite well on the, what we call the basics, the satisfaction, the people, the location, how well the apps work, the reality is they're doing worse and worse when it comes to looking out for the customer, rewarding the customer, telling the customer what they should do to make their financial wellness better. And you bring up a great point that if you build content around those concepts and then advertise that content, you're not advertising a product, you're advertising a solution or solving a problem. And the customer will take that last step themselves if you build content well, correct? And that's what a lot of marketers don't like because it's there's not a predictable time period when the customer will be ready to buy. I mean, if you do this really well and that person becomes an audience member, let's just put it into concrete, con concrete terms. So let's say that we're talking about a newsletter and you're focusing on the financial needs of a particular type of consumer with a particular type of needs and they subscribe to that and they start opening that newsletter every week and they really enjoy it. You don't know necessarily, even though you might put offers in front of them, you don't know when they're going to buy. It might be six months, it might be 12 months, it might be 15 months. You have to bake that into the plan. You don't know, but the fact is you've built this amazing relationship and the odds are when they're ready to buy a product of that kind, whatever you offer, they will buy from you because they are leaning on you for that expertise. So your, your goal here is to focus on many different types of audiences. You're probably sending different things to different kinds of audiences. And then you have to bake in the time period that it takes it, to build what we call a minimum viable audience from starting an initiative. It takes about 12 to 15 months. It takes about 18 to 24 months to get to revenue. Content marketing is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It takes time. If you said, Jim, if you asked me, uh, okay, I got a client that wants to see results in six months, they're gonna throw some money at a content marketing campaign, what can they get? I would say probably nothing. They probably yeah. would expect it. Like I would say, go interrupt people, go buy some advertising if that's all you have is six months, because this is an asset you're gonna build over a long period of time. If you build an audience that's loyal, you can monetize that audience in 10 different ways over five, 10, 15 years. I still have blog posts that I wrote in 2007 that get 500 to 1,000 people a day going to those that are subscribed that I put an hour of time into. But that didn't happen in 12 months. That happened in 24 months, 36 months, 48 months. So this is a long-term plan. Well, it's interesting because financial institutions, by their nature, have a lot of data on customers. I many times bring up the situation where I was buying my car and put out all these feelers out there that made it very obvious I was in the market for a car. 
Yet, even though I did all these triggers on social media and other places, I was going to buy one. The only people that ever went out, reached out to me were the manufacturers and dealers. On the other hand, if my financial institution said, hey, there's a lot of people like you that may be in the market for the car. Here's some things you should consider first. And they gave me content to look at. Where would I buy? I'd buy there. Yeah. It, it didn't have to be a product push. It didn't have to say, hey, we know you're looking for a car. Here's our rates. No, it goes deeper than that. It helps them. When I was in a, in a marketplace for a refinance of a mortgage, it was very obvious I should be in a marketplace for a refinance. My rate was way over market value. If any organization had said, hey, here's some things you should consider, and here's the easiest way to implement that process, I probably would have done it. So you discussed the model for building successful content in your book, Content Inc. Can you provide my listeners with the key components of what Content Inc. model is? Yeah, sure. I'll, I mean, we don't have three days, if you will, to go through it. So I'll, right. I'll put it into uh, some some short reminders of the most important things. It's a, and hopefully people buy the book. Well, thank that you. It's the whole concept. It's a, well, what I love about the Content Inc. model is I've been working on this model for about 15, 20 years now, and we've talked to thousands of customers, marketers, and content creators from all over the world and found out that this is a model that works really well. And it's seven steps, but the first two are all about strategy. One is First, you have to define your sweet spot as it pertains to your audience. So what I like to the marketers to start with is, who is the audience you're trying to target? And as you and I have already talked about, you might have six, seven, eight, nine different personas that you're looking at. You're not just sending one product to all your customers. You're just talking to one particular audience. And then you want to say, okay, from that audience, whether that's consumers that are looking to get a mortgage or whether that's uh, institutional financial advisors that are going to spend a million, $2 million with you, whatever the case is, what, what are their desires? What keeps them up at night? What are their pain points? And on the other side, what's your expertise area? What's that knowledge that you have that no one else has? And we bring that together and call that the sweet spot. Jim, what most people do is they say, oh, that's our sweet spot. That's our content niche. That's what we're going to talk about in our videos or our audio. But they have to take the next step, which is step two, and that's called the content tilt. Content tilt is the most important thing you can do. And think about that as how can you break through all that clutter? The content tilt is the way you differentiate yourself. So let's talk, let me give you an example, like cloud computing, right? Let's say we were going to do something and we were going to talk about cloud computing and we're going to do a blog and we're like, great, we're going to talk about cloud computing to our audience of financial advisors because it's important to them, whatever. And then you realize, oh my gosh, Amazon, Salesforce, Oracle, IBM, all have, are spending hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of co on content for cloud computing. How are you going to break through and, and outspend them or out interrupt them. You can't do it. So you've got to figure out how do you tilt that content a little bit. You can do it by audience. Maybe you can further define the audience until you get to a point where you can be the leading expert in the world. Maybe you're going to say, well, I'm going to take the topic and I'm going to call it something different like we did with content marketing. We used to, content marketing used to be called custom publishing. We called it content marketing. We switched the conversation. That worked really well for us. Marketing automation company HubSpot did the same thing with inbound marketing. So maybe you're, you're having a different conversation. So whatever the case is, you want to make sure you cut through the clutter in some way. Maybe it's a different platform. Maybe there's nobody doing a podcast on what you want to do for financial advisors or consumers. And you say, oh, because we're doing it in an audio, we can differentiate ourselves. So step two is the content tilt. Step three is now you're going to create content. This is about building the base. And really briefly is instead of throwing your content out everywhere, you need to find a home base. 
Is it audio content, textual plus image content, or video content? And what's the platform? Is it YouTube? Is it a blog? Is it a podcast? It's one thing. And it doesn't mean you can't share that content on social media and be active in other places. But what we found as success stories is it always starts with one thing. It's a magazine. It's a podcast. It's a blog. Put your resources and be great at one thing and build what we call a minimum viable audience, whatever that number is. It might be 5,000 people, 10,000 people, 50,000 people, depending on who you're targeting. And then you go ahead and do that. And then, so that's about you know, nine months, 12 months, and then you get into audience building. So that when you're really leveraging search engine optimization, you're trying to market via social media, using paid and organic, you're using influencer marketing. And you're, as we talked about, you're building these relationships with influencers that really make sense. And then you can start going and probably at the 15, 18 month mark. Now you can start to drive revenue. It doesn't mean that you can't drive revenue sooner, but it does take time because you have to build a loyal audience first before you can extract value. And you can do that 10 different ways. You can do it directly through things like, I'm gonna actually do what media companies do. I'm gonna do an event and I'm gonna sell sponsorships or I'm gonna do paid registrations or I'm gonna do affiliate program or I'm gonna do donations. So you can do all the same things that the New York Times does or Huffington Post does or whatever. Or then you look for traditional content marketing goals on the outside where you say, oh, I'm going to create a loyal audience. I'm going to sell them more products. I'm going to create a loyal audience and sell them more services. Maybe it's consulting services or you're going to use loyalty, which is the longest running reason that people have done content marketing for the last hundred years. Maybe it's a magazine and you want your customers to be more loyal. You want them to stay with you as a bank or as a financial institution. Great. Or maybe it's you're going to create better customers. So, for example, a really good case study is from TD Ameritrade has a magazine called Think Money Magazine that goes to derivatives traders. And so they sell they send this magazine out to traders. And what they found took them two years to get this data. And what they found out is those that read that magazine called Think Money and they read it consistently every month trade five times more than those that don't. That's pretty darn good ROI, Jim, as you know. So you're like, okay, they've kept that publication going. So that's revenue. And then really the last step gets into diversification. Once you start looking at your revenue, then you can start really building out your whole media platform. So you might say, okay, I've started with a podcast and I've built it up. We built an audience. Now we're going to leverage into an email newsletter. Now we might leverage into our own event. Like Salesforce has their own event called Dreamforce. Uh, You might say, I'm going to do a print magazine. I'm going to do a webinar series. There's 10 other things that you could do, right? But you start to diversify because what you realize is if you do this really well and you have an audience member that has more subscriptions to your content, three or four ways that they engage with their content, they become more loyal and they become better customers. So that's the content model. It's just like a media company model that we've seen for hundreds of years, but now we can do it many different ways and leverage social platforms and reach our customers directly if we wish to. But of course, it takes time and it takes focus and it takes strategy. You know, you just brought it up. It's not as easy as it looks, but it's not as hard as some That's people right. think it is either. So what are the biggest challenges you see with B2C organizations trying to build and sustain an effective content marketing strategy? So, yeah, a couple of things. And we talked about some of them. First of all, you have many different audience groupings. You have to focus on the particular audience you're going after. It's very hard to say I'm targeting everybody. Those never work. If you target everybody, you're targeting nobody. So focus on who that audience is going to be. Then you have to figure out what is your differentiation? 
Why should people pay attention to you? We This just came out in the news where CNN Plus launched and they're already deeming it a failure and they can't get enough subscribers. So here's a professional media company that said that their pay for product is a failure and they put hundreds of millions of dollars into it. Maybe they didn't differentiate it against the other news outlets out there. I don't know. So you have to do all that sort of work to make sure that you cut through and you have something different because your audience has many different options. And then the other big one, Jim, is you have to consistently deliver over a long period of time. So, and you see this particularly with B2C organizations on YouTube, where they have a YouTube channel and they just upload stuff whenever they want. But if you look at what makes a successful YouTuber, they deliver it at the same time, same location, every day, every week, every month, depending on how they're going. So, I mean, I've got, I don't, I've got kids that are, have their favorites on YouTube. Uh, one of my one of my kids has a favorite that delivers every Monday at 1 p.m., every Wednesday at 1 p.m., and every Friday at 1 p.m. And they've done so for five years, and that's why they've got millions of followers. So it's very hard for organizations, because organizations, B2C organizations, they think, oh, campaign, I can run this for six to nine months, and then we can stop. Well, content marketing is not a campaign. It doesn't end. You have to consistently deliver just like the New York Times, the Financial Times, Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, if to build an audience, you can't stop. Once you stop, you have a really good chance to lose that audience member. You know what? It, it gets down to trust. I found this out very early in my writing when I was writing a blog that, you know, I took a little bit of a summer off because my son was playing lacrosse, high school lacrosse and doing some some uh, off-site locations and doing some uh, showcases. I took a couple weeks off and people thought I died and, and people were getting angry because I wasn't there on the Monday that they're used to doing it. Well, as you said, now I write every Monday for the financial brand. You can always find me on the financial brand on Monday mornings. You're going to see our podcast published on Tuesdays and sometimes Thursdays at the same time. And that consistency becomes something people rely on as opposed to keep on looking for you. You know, right. as you reference, you know, they don't want to say, oh, geez, I'll keep on going to your website every day and hope that you're there. No, they want to know that you're going to be there on Mondays and Tuesdays, or whatever the days are. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I was fortunate. We were fortunate to have Raja Raja Manir, the uh, CMO of MasterCard on our podcast a while back. And he discussed the importance of letting customers have a voice in how the enterprise thinks of its marketing. How can content marketing help in this mission? How can consumers help in the development of content? I think the best type of content marketing programs, Jim, are the ones that you get your customers involved in the content production process. Absolutely the best. I mean, who doesn't want, I mean, it's almost like I want testimonials, right? Everybody wants testimonials. Well, if you have somebody create a video piece of content, audio piece of content, guest on your podcast, article, blog post, piece in the newsletter, that's your customer talking about their experiences. Is that not the best piece of content in the world other than having yeah. your own marketing person write it or, or a writer or a journalist? Absolutely, it's the best. So that's all the evolution from an audience to a community. So if you say, I wanna build a loyal audience and it's all about trust, you're absolutely right. Well, if you evolve that into a community where you really start to involve your audience into the things that you're doing, I don't think that's kind of the pinnacle of, of the content marketing process. So we've done this, I've been working on this for years where when we had the Content Marketing Institute blog and now we're doing the same thing with the new organization, The Tilt, the people that blog on that platform are people in our audience. 
So we have a Discord channel where it's a discussion forum that we talk to our audience all the time and somebody will bring up, hey, I found this, I did that, I've got this case study, this happened to me, and we reach out to them immediately and say, oh my God, that's amazing. Would you write about that experience in our newsletter? And they're always like, absolutely, that'd be great. And so we get them involved and you know what happens when you get your customers involved in that? They like to share that with a lot of different people that are just like them that come back in and you become your audience. So I, I don't think, I think that a lot of corporate content processes are too corporate. I think you need to think outside the box and say, wouldn't it be something if we got our customers more involved? Not just the, okay, I wanna do a, which we see in commercials all the time. I wanna interview you. No, I, let, let them be a part of the content creation process. Is that possible? Absolutely. Uh, look at Disney. They do a great job with their Disney Moms blog. They, they just say, oh, you're a Disney mom. You're blogging about that. Would you be a part of our network? And they're like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And they give them right. perks and they bring them to the park and whatever. And they talk about it. Can you imagine how many new people that Disney mom's blog has brought in to Disney World? I can't even imagine how successful it's been. So I think financial organizations can do the exact same thing. It's just for some reason we're not there yet. Well, you know, and, it, and it's interesting because you just brought up the situation that for a financial firm, to, for a, a customer to say, here's the challenge that I had and here's why I addressed them, it comes off a whole lot differently than if a financial institution says, here's the problems you're going to have and here's how we think you should address them. You know, if that third person voice is a lot more powerful, you know, as mentioned, that while there's a lot of talk about the potential of content marketing, most financial institutions still consider themselves very early in the developmental stage of building and deploying great content. How should a bank or a credit union Get up to speed quickly. Well, I think that first of all, you focus on one thing and do that one thing well. So it, it can be very overwhelming. Let's say you're not very good at this. Makes Let's say you've got content, I call it content run amok. It's kind of all over the place. That's fine. That's like most organizations. So get your act together, get your marketing team in a room, do a mini content audit, see what you're doing and, and figure out what, you know, with whatever data you have, what's working and what's not. Take the resources of what's not working, kill those things and put it towards the one or two things that's working and then focus on being the most amazing expert to that audience in that niche, in that location that there is anywhere in, in, the, in your region or in the world or wherever, wherever you're focusing. I don't think it's too much to ask. I always think if you're going to do this, you might as well be the best. Like who wants to like I always thought when I, when I grew up in trade publishing, it's like who wants to start the fifth best magazine in the industry? Nobody. And today the fifth right. best wouldn't even get any audience. So I would start there and focus on you could do that. And I think what you got to remember, Jim, you've got to set some goals for this. And I would set some three to five year goals because what you're going to see in three to five years, whether you're a credit union or bank or other financial institution, somebody's going to take the lead on this and become a major media platform. Like if you look in Scandinavia, Yuska Bank is one of the leading television stations, financial television stations in Scandinavia, and it's from a bank. 24-hour uh, bank news. They've done like a CNBC thing. They decided that their one channel was video, and they committed to it, and it took them a long time to get there. But now they cover all the trade shows, and they go out to their customers. They do all the things we're talking about, and they're a bank. There's So... So you say, well, who's the number one financial media institution in that area? You'd say, well, it's not a media company, it's a bank. I think that's what right. we need to see. There's no reason why banks can't be the leading media properties in their niche. They just haven't thought of it that way. So if you're a chief marketing officer, 
yes, you want to, you want to drive all your ROI, all your numbers, all your new customers, your loyal customers, your new products and whatever. But how can you do that best over a long period of time? I think you build loyal, many different loyal audiences. You start looking at it on a portfolio. If you look at what Salesforce and what HubSpot and what other technology companies are doing, Apple, Amazon, Google, they're all huge media companies now. Just people don't look at it that way. And that's what right. I think we've forgotten. And it's the same opportunity with financial institutions to do that. And somebody's going to break out and do it. And I think it's going to happen pretty shortly. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. So, Joe, what do you see as the biggest changes we'll be seeing the way consumers consume marketing and content in the future? Well, I think the one thing is, is our consumers are content creators as well as content consumers. So a lot of opportunity should be put if you're a bank or a credit union to figure out who are those customers that are influential that you can work with and partner with. And I don't think we've thought about that before. So there's an opportunity there. I would also want to know how your specific customers are engaging in content. I mean, we know that our customers are engaging in six, seven, eight hours of media a day. I don't even know how this is possible. This is crazy. Well, where are they at? You know, are they on TikTok? Are they on YouTube? Are they on Twitch? You know, are, are they on Clubhouse? I don't know. So really figure out where they're at. And I always, I've always um, led by when I got into publishing, I always want to know, well, well, where's my audience hanging out? And I want to be there. So if your audience is hanging out on certain platforms with certain bloggers, with certain YouTubers, how can you partner with those people and be part of their content process first? I think we always think, especially financial institutions, we're like, we want to control all the content and we want to do it just this way. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can absolutely do it. But maybe depending on the consumers you're talking to, maybe it's better to partner, do a lot of partnerships. So we've been working on consortiums for years and consortiums are powerful where you work with multiple organizations that are non-competitive. So can you work with a YouTuber, a blogger, a newsletter provider, and really get them um, as part of your content production schedule, if you will? Because some of the content you want to create doesn't have to go on your site and go on their site. You can be a guest on their podcast. They can be a guest on your podcast. If you look at the most successful YouTubers and Twitch streamers around and you want to know how they grow audience, that's exactly how they do it. Like you would be on my podcast, Jim. I'd be on your podcast. Yep. Our audiences would kind of mix and match and we'd both grow. So that's what I would that's where I think the opportunity is at because you have your consumers are very loyal to particular media sites. So do you want to pull them away? Maybe. So do you want to steal that audience? That'd be great. So how are you going to steal that audience and get them over to yours? You've got to be part of that platform first. So know where they're hanging out and then start to build strategic relationships with those people and have them be part of your content process. You know, it's interesting. Financial institutions have this great concept where they can contact almost everybody in their database because they have the information. They have their cell phone number in many cases. They certainly have their email address. So it's not hard to reach. So they have the, one of the hardest components of content marketing solved already. 
But one thing they forget is that it's not like you have to continually create brand new content all the time. A major part of your book is talking about repurposing and redeploying content and, and republishing evergreen content. So how can organizations repurpose their content in a way that's fresh? So planning. So it's weird, right? We'll think about it. Upfront planning is the key to repurposing. So if you want to know repurposing gone wrong, what'll happen is somebody will do an article and it'll catch on. And then somebody will say, oh, let's, that should have been an infographic. Let's do an infographic. And then somebody will say, oh, we should do a research report then. And it's all kind of clunky and it's sort of just somewhat organic and it probably doesn't go very well and it's very reactive. But if you have a process and you say, oh, this is how we're going to do it. We create these sets of blog posts. These blog posts become white papers. This white paper becomes a research report. This research report becomes part of a book that we're going to release at the end of the year. And that book is going to be put into a documentary. I mean, I'm just throwing, I just made that up. I don't yeah, know. Right. But that's, right. that's how we want to think. Like, I'll give you an example. When I wanted to write Content Inc., I said, well, that's a lot to write a book. I got a lot of things going on. I got the podcast. I got the new uh, business. Like, what am I going to do? I'm like, okay, well, let's set out a production schedule. So I set a six to nine month production schedule. And I said, every week I'm going to write a chapter. And that chapter goes in the blog. And I'm gonna, that's going to be edited down. And then that becomes one chapter. So that by the time I got six to nine months done, I've got 75, 80% of the book done. So if we think about those types of things, and with banks, it's easy, and right, and in credit unions, it's like, oh, great. Now we want a white paper. Now we want to give a, a there's, this would be great for an infographic. We can send in our newsletter. This would be a great thing to show in a, 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 a mini documentary that we can put on Netflix. And do, but you can do all kinds of stuff with it, right? So I would just say plan up front instead of saying, oh, this is for that, this is for that, this is for that, which, by the way, can work. But while you're doing all that content, you might as well think, oh, this is, process one, step one to process one, but we can use this as a 12 to 18 month process and use it really, really well and get the most out of that one article. You know, so it's interesting, the banking industry over the last several years, and it goes back even further than that, but the industry has become much less transactional. We aren't going to the branch. We're not cashing checks the way we yep. used to. We're not seeing people face to face. And so there's a much deeper need for engagement as opposed to transactions. How can content strategy drive engagement? I think that you want to make sure that you have some kind of an opt-in content product. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have a YouTube channel. And it doesn't mean that you can't do a Twitch stream. I don't know, I'm, your customers probably aren't there yet, but you, things on social media platforms that people can just see anytime. I really think the holy grail with this type of thing is something like an e opt-in email newsletter that you send them consistently. That's their reminder to check in with you and you check in with them. Uh, we've seen this really successful on the, on the B2B and the B2C side where you get some of these e-newsletters that are indispensable pieces of information that are very unique, very differentiated. They're getting 40, 50, 60% open rate, which is not unheard of if it's truly valuable and personalized. And you said this really well, what you, we know about our customers on the financial side is if somebody opens that e-newsletter and they click on a mortgage rates article or something about mortgage, you know what? They're probably interested in mortgage. You have that data. Yeah. You could use that data. If they do that three three issues in a row, they might want to be sent your research report on how to get the best mortgage rate, right? Whatever. You already right. have that going on. So I love that opt-in thing. I'm still, by the way, a believer in lean back technology and print. 
Um, and the reason why I bring up print specifically, every, we're talking about social media and video and podcasts. I'm a big believer in all those things. But there is an opportunity in print because as far as I can tell, the postal mail is still delivered. And most of the stuff that's delivered in the post right now is terrible. It's just spam. It's worthless. Well, all of the most of the media magazines that were being delivered are gone. They all went digital. So you have a clear track and a competitive advantage. If you wanted to create something consistently, let's say a monthly magazine deliver, that's why I think Think Money Magazine by Ameritrade worked because they got no competition. <laughs> Nothing right. going on now, there. You know, not only is the mailbox filled with crap, but there's not that much of that in there anymore. You know, we go back, I go back to the 70s and 80s when direct mail was the thing, but man, you were fighting for space because you're getting a, a pack of mail every day. Well, you're not getting that pack anymore. So what an easy way to stand out. And look at look at what the smart, innovative companies are doing. Look at Amazon, look at Walmart, look at Lego, look at Red Bull, and just look at what they're spending on print distribution. It's going up. Those Amazon, number one digital company in the world, right? Is spending a lot more on their print catalogs now. Lego, they haven't stopped producing their Lego magazine since I think they started in 1987. And they're doing pre they're pretty successful. So I think that's where everyone else has stopped because, oh, they couldn't get the advertising, whatever. Well, you can measure differently. You don't have to measure by, I need to make money on this magazine. You can measure because you're creating amazing customer relationships with your magazine. So we brought up a lot of concepts and a lot of ways to deliver content. How should financial institutions measure the impact of their content? I think you have to ask what behavior you're trying to measure, right? So the whole goal, I mean, what is marketing? Marketing is ultimately about seeing a behavior change. If you're not seeing a behavior, you're not maintaining or changing behavior, are you really doing marketing? Probably not. That's the goal right. of this. So what we want to know is start out with a hypothesis. What's your hypothesis? Is your hypothesis that if you create a podcast and you get an audience grouping to listen to that podcast, is this a thing where you want to take that audience and create new customers? Is this a thing that's going out to current customers and you want them to buy more or stay longer? So these are the things you have to figure out. So once you do that and you say, this is the things that we're measuring, then you measure those things. You measure, and then you've got to do your best to figure out, okay, well, who's listening to our podcast? So you got to make sure that if you have a podcast, you've got to make sure you've got to do some kind of call to action so you could figure out, okay, download this free giveaway here, do this here. So you can get, I'll say, oh, good. This person's listening to this podcast. We know because they did that podcast only offer. And by the way, now we're matching it up with our database. And lo and behold, 25% of this audience are customers and 75% are not. Wow. Didn't know that. Or maybe that's exactly what we wanted. So I guess what I would go back is instead of saying, oh, I want this for lead gen, which is that's so basic. Let's take another step and say, okay, who are we trying to target? Why are we trying to target them? What are their pain points? And ultimately, what do we want them to do? And then build in the two-year timeframe beyond the budgetary campaign for how that's going to happen. And when I go in and we'll do a content overview, a content strategy in an organization, even financial organizations, usually they have a six-month overview. And I'm like, six months? What is this? You're gonna build a you're gonna build a marriage? With this customer right, in six exactly. months? No, you're just out yep. on a date. That's all that's taken. 
It's going to take us 12 months, 18, especially in finance, right? We don't know when we're going to buy a house. We don't know when we're going to open a new account. We don't know when we need that loan for the new business. These things take time and financial custom uh, companies should know that. So set up the long-term process to measure that. You know, that's so interesting because when I talk to financial institutions about content, I say, you've got to get out of your head the traditional ways of measuring things. Because if you measure it on sales, what's going to happen is your content's going to reflect what your, what your ultimate goal is, and you're going to build content to sell. Go further back the uh, the funnel and say, okay, if you know your equations, you know, in, in my business, I know how many listeners turn into how many prospects, how many prospects turn into people that yep. get get loyal, how much loyalty turns then into sales. You know, my partner, Jeffrey Pilcher, knows how many subscribers he has to have to drive this much readership, how much readership it takes to, to get somebody to sign up for this financial brand forum, and how many people that go to the financial brand forum become loyal as far as going to it over and over again. The reality is if you get really close to the funnel, if you do it the traditional way and saying, what are my sales? You're going to end up building crappy content because it's going to talk It's going to talk about how you want to sell them things as opposed to how you want to help a consumer. I think that is such a major thing that you brought up that, that you, you know, if you have a short-term span, how do you build trust in six months? I mean, you bring it up really good, a relationship. This is what we're talking about here, our relationships. You're exactly right. If you're limited on time and you're like, you, you don't want to have every step of the buyer's process down, you say, okay, what's a really amazing customer awareness content program, what's a really amazing, like right before they purchase something experience, and then what's a post loyalty type experience. If you get those three covered, you're pretty much set. But so then you've got to figure out, okay, how am I going to measure each one of those? And what are those things? And who are those customers? And how long do I need to do this? And how frequent? I mean, it's, I mean, what you're, you're, you're a little media company inside your organization. This is a whole new set of muscles you're not used to using. So it takes time to figure it out. Well, and the good news is uh, for a financial institution, they not only have a way to reach out easily through email and through, you know, SMS text if you want to, but they can also target better than most organizations can. You know, we have more data than any type of industry out there. Let's use that to target better, to build better content that's going to be read. And let's measure how well it's read, how well it does. So, Finally, Joe, for financial marketers who wanted to educate themselves more on what's possible with with content marketing, you know, there's there's no place better to go to than you. I, I will I'll say that I, I I was mentioned to you before the podcast that I'm walking the dog, I'm listening to your book. I think it's for the third or fourth time. And and every time I listen, I, I get something else going, oh my God, how could I I've been in this business long enough. How am I missing this? And and I loved your the concept about the book was one of the ones that hit me yesterday going, you know, people keep on bugging me about writing a book. I go, yeah, I, it's just too much hassle. Well, not if I build one section of it at a time and do it in my normal course of doing work. So how do people find out more about content marketing? How do they subscribe to your newsletter and how do they get your book? So thank, Yeah, thank you. Uh, just type Content Inc. into I mean, you can go to uh, joepolizzi.com, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I. You can find all the things that I'm doing, but just type in Content Inc. If you like Audible or Amazon, it's all available anywhere you want to get it. That's probably that's where we talk about the process and how to do this and organizationally how to structure it. The new organization, we send a newsletter twice a week, all about content creation and distribution. That's at thetilt.com, T-I-L-T, thetilt.com. 
and then probably have to throw out a little bit of love to my old organization, uh, Content Marketing Institute. So in Content Marketing Institute, we, we started that organization back in 2007. Um, it really focuses on great knowledge for, for enterprises around content marketing. So we go check them out as well. You know, and I'll say that you, you Google Joe's name and you're going to come across more content on what you want to talk, think about, what you want to learn about. If you say, how do we measure, and you put his name into it on content, you're going to get more than enough reading and listening uh, than you'd ever care for, because it, it really is so much information you have. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Jim, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please give our show a five-star rating on your preferred podcast platform. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing on the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman, and video producer, Will Prince. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, Great content builds relationships because it builds trust through empathy. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.